Pixel Therapy is a member of the But Why Though Podcast Network. Go to butwhythopodcast.com for an inclusive geek community offering pop culture news, reviews, and podcasts. To be vulnerable, to be more than just your rage, more than just your your violence. Like, who are you when that fire has burned out? Like, that takes even more strength to figure that out and to, like, be someone that others can depend on rather than just continuing to think only about yourself. Like, it really feels like 900 years later, Kratos is really growing up. Welcome to Pixel Therapy, the video game podcast where we look at the games we play through the lens of the player, where what you play is just as important as how you play it, and where emotional intelligence is a critical stat. We are officially back uh, coming at you with guests who may or may not consider themselves a gamer to discuss the games that have made them and changed them and all the feelings they have about our favorite pastime. But we don't have a guest for you this week. Uh, Spoiler alert. Uh, I'm your co-host, Jamie, pronoun she, her. <laughs> and I'm your co-host, Spencer, pronouns they, them. And this is Pixel Therapy, officially back. We have a guest. We have a guest. Oh. It's Kratos. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the guest this week is God of War Ragnarok. Uh, let's start this episode, though, as the way that we, in the way that we always do, uh, and always did, uh, coming back after a couple months away, we have some Patreon shoutouts to give. This is our special thank you. To everyone who subscribed at our Patreon name in the credits tier. And we're specifically thanking everyone who stuck with us for September and mm-hmm. October right now. So that's a very big thank you to Genevieve, Lindsay, Jackie, Ben, Pimatai, Adiyinka, and CD Mess. Thank you all so much for your support and for continuing to support on Patreon while we were away on a little breaky break. Um, remember, if you want to get your name in the credits, you can hop on over to patreon.com slash pixel therapy pod where you can subscribe for as little as just $2 a month and get access to our monthly bonus series co-op mode. Uh, we did release co-op mode episodes in September and October, despite being on hiatus. Um, so if you've been jonesing for some pixel therapy, you can catch a couple bonus episodes. There. I know I have. <laughs> Talking about <laughs> things like uh, our finishing of Cult of the Lamb. Mm. We talked about Plague Tale Requiem. Mm-hmm. And we talked about Marvel Snap. Mm-hmm. Game of the Year. <laughs> Game of the Year, Marvel Snap. And uh, <laughs> some other spooky stuff in October. Uh, yeah, I think there are a couple of episodes. We still be gaming, even off, yes. the, off the airs. Yeah, still be gaming. <laughs> uh, we think they're worth the $2, so go check those out. Um, if you're a fan of what we do here on Pixel Therapy, please consider sharing us with your friends and family, rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, or even writing into the show by emailing us at pixeltherapypod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. So please reach out, have a question, a thought. If you just want to contribute to the conversation or say hi, uh, send, us, send, us a little, send us a little email. It'd yeah. be nice. All right, folks, it's time. After more than two months, it's time to finally get cozy <laughs> and pull up an armchair. Feel free to lie down on the couch. and Let's talk. About our feelings. I've been so uncozy these past two months. I was just about to ask you how you are. <laughs> <laughs> so aside from being uncozy, how are you, Spencer? Well, I'm really glad to have an opportunity to get cozy with you again. Um, well, I'm going to be honest with you, Jamie. I've 
my life for the past two weeks has been nothing but God of War, but I'll try to imagine <laughs> how else I've been in addition to that. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. Right before we started recording, I said to Jamie, look at my isopod. And I held up a stuffed animal isopod with no explanation. And she understandably was confused. So I figured I should explain. I also didn't immediately know what an isopod is. Could you explain to the fans? What yeah. an isopod is, please. So an isopod is very closely related to what's scientifically known as a roly-poly bug. This is a video game podcast, folks, I swear. <laughs> Just give us, give us a minute. With a hint of biology. <laughs> hint of biology. Um, We're learning shit. But those little roly-poly bugs that when you're digging in your garden and you see them all curl up into a ball. Oh, fuck yeah. And you're like, ah, but they're also kind of <laughs> cute. Yeah. That's basically a close cousin of an isopod, okay. which is a creature that's very uh keeps to itself. It's not mm-hmm. one of those creatures that are like F with you. They're pretty chill. Okay. And they're like a ghostly white <laughs> insect that has uh-huh. a hard shell. So and it crawls along the bottom of the ocean minding its own business. All right. But these isopods are like they're like prehistoric animals like they've been around for a long ass time like just Love basically that. chilling in the bottom of the ocean while everything crazy happens above the ocean mm-hmm. and um i got to touch one a live oh, one shit. because my partner and i went to the monterey bay aquarium in california oh, oh. and it was super magical and there was a <laughs> station where a gentleman was set up and there were some isopods in a tank and there were a bunch of five-year-old children lined up to <laughs> touch the isopod and you <laughs> spread and them I away. I jumped in line. I shoved them all Pushed out of them the aside. way. I was like, like Kratos throwing a dragger. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly like Kratos, actually. Thank you for yeah. that. Yeah. Um, I actually need the God of War metaphors in order, in order to understand normal human conversation these days. Boy. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I petted an isopod. It's the only place in the world where you can touch a live isopod, and I didn't Whoa. die. And the, the man said I was very brave. Um, and so my partner got me this plush isopod, and it's my friend. Now, is this plush one, is this size to scale? Is this the actual size? It is size? basically to scale. Yeah, this okay. like about the size of a real isopod. So this is about, mm, it's maybe like a foot and a half long. Okay. And it's round. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that kind of <laughs> makes it a little creepier. because I mean, yeah, if you're imagining like the, the they're wood lice, right? The roly-poly Yeah, ones. they're like giant lice <laughs> that are horrifying. Yeah, that's... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And it has all the, like this plush just has these cute little nubbins for legs, but the yeah. real one, it's like no. as if a centipede was like crawling oh, along. Oh, no, see, that's... That's yeah. where I check out. So um, like, as I got closer, I was like, oh, uh, I have to touch this? And the yeah. guy was like, you don't have to. And I was like, well, if these fucking five-year-olds can do it. Um, mm-hmm. But when I touched it, it was very like, like touching a crab or a lobster. Okay. Okay. And thankfully, they're not like very fast. So it couldn't mm-hmm. like grab me and eat my hand or anything like that. <laughs> it like whips around. <laughs> yeah. Rolls over like a face hugger and just like grabs my <laughs> oh, no. hand. Oh, that's horrifying. So, yeah, there's uh, there's scary shit in the oceans. Dude, that's Oh my god, it's it's always mind blowing to me how little we know about what's under oh, the yeah. sea. So yeah, man, someone should make a video game about an isopod. It's like Stray, but you're like an isopod. 
<laughs> Next game of like, the year. <laughs> there wouldn't be <laughs> there wouldn't be too much like yeah, platforming or anything. I'm kind of you know the entire yeah. game is just minding your own business at the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. Yeah. Waiting Look. for those ocean vents and you can fly you can have them push you up like a magic Oh we we yeah. See game design. <laughs> we're we're doing it right here. Oh my god. Yeah, next great great game coming out of Pixel yeah. Therapy Brain That's Trust right. over That's here. Right. <laughs> How are you though, Jamie? Any isopods? No isopods <laughs> in my recent past and hopefully future. Um <laughs> <laughs> now i similarly uh was was in the god of war zone mm-hmm. there for a minute i mean yeah in if people haven't already picked up on it that is going to be the meat of our discussion today we're going to be talking a lot of god of war so if that's not of interest to you i'm so sorry but the game came out on november 9th and that's all spencer and i want to talk about and are you living to- under an isopod like <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i think yeah <laughs> I think it's to be expected. We were clearly waiting for this one for a while and and here it is. So we're going to we're going to fucking talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um But yeah, I mean for those two-ish weeks that I was playing it, a little bit more than two weeks, that was really kind of the only thing that I wanted to think about or do, which is helpful for avoiding everything else in your life. Yeah. um but no i mean overall i'm good we're recording this the weekend after thanksgiving so got a little time off to relax Uh, my partner and i usually do thanksgiving just the two of us which we're honestly okay with it's it's kind of nice to have Mm -hmm. that little stretch of break um and get to just relax just the two of us uh he's been building a board game shelf for us in the basement Mm. which has been really fun to watch come together and he's having a ton of fun doing it i'm really living vicariously uh (laughs) through him with that um but yeah you know having the little bit of time off you get to take care of some things you've been putting off i i cleaned our dog's ears uh, and brushed their teeth which is something i'm we're really bad about um but our older dog, we just had to get her teeth cleaned. And let me tell you, that's not a cheap procedure mm. <laughs> to mm-hmm. have done. And they have to knock the dog out, which after having seen her recover <laughs> from being knocked out, I never want to do it to her again. Aww. The poor baby was so out of it. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I'm like, all right, well, if this is the sacrifice I need to make to never have to watch this poor like old dog stumble around the house aimlessly and bleary eyed being like, what the hell have you done to me? Then I will, I will do this and I will brush your teeth a few times a week. Dog dentist. Uh, That's our next title. (laughs) Are you going to make a game out of that one too? Yeah. 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 Um, But yeah, so it's, yeah, it's been chill. It's been chill, which I've appreciated because you know, the world sucks. Yeah. Uh, but let's talk about God of War Ragnarok. Da, da, da. Da, da. Yeah. Da, da, <laughs> God damn. Da. The music in this game. <laughs> I, there's so many places we could go. Yeah, let's just say the music was fantastic. Um, Bear yeah, McCreary, so, composer Bear McCreary, of the year. <laughs> really, really good. Yeah, so, so for our conversation today, uh, we're going to start out by talking spoiler-free about the game mm-hmm. and giving like our high-level you know, thoughts. <laughs> And like what we liked, what we didn't like. Uh, spoiler alert: it's mostly going to be what we like. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then at a certain point, uh, we will, which we will clearly uh, announce for everyone, we're going to transition into a spoiler cast, and and then it'll be no holds barred. We'll talk a bit about some of our favorite moments from the game, uh, 
etc. Yeah. Uh, any any qualms we might have or quibbles with mm-hmm. narrative, etc. Small they may be. <laughs> small they yeah, they, small they may be. Um there's no guest for you today. This is our first episode back from the break and with God of War Ragnarok, uh we we have plenty to say about that mm-hmm. and so we're easing back into things here with with this episode being focused on God of War Ragnarok. And then for just a little bit of housekeeping, our next episode in three weeks, we'll, you know, we'll be back. We'll be back to doing every three weeks. Uh, and our next episode in December is going to probably be our game of the year discussion or our I don't know, game of the year isn't quite the right way to put Hell it. Yeah. But we, we always like to end the year with a conversation of our, the, our favorite things that we played this year. So that'll be what we do in December. And then hopefully we'll be back to more of a, a normal episode structure in January. Uh, so let's talk about God of War Ragnarok. <gasps> if you've been living under an isotope, if you've yeah. been crawling around on the bottom of the ocean. You may and not have you, heard about it. <laughs> and you may not have heard about it. So I'll just quickly say that this game was uh, developed by Santa Monica Studio, published by Sony Interactive Entertainment. Uh, it released on November 9th for PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5. It is an action-adventure game and a direct sequel to God of War 2018. Um which itself was a continuation and refresh of the God of War franchise, mm. which began all the way back in 2005 on the PlayStation 2. Mm. Uh, just a few <laughs> metrics to consider that we've news so items that we've gotten in the last few weeks since the game yeah. released. First, the game broke sales records uh, for first-party PlayStation games, sold mm. 5.1 million copies within its debut week which is just November 9th through November 13th, so not even a full seven days. Wow. 5.1 million copies. The previous record holder for Sony was uh, was Last of Us Part Two, which mm. I think was around 4 million copies. So, insane. Take insane. that! I was kidding. No. <laughs> Spencer hates The Last of Us. <laughs> Take that, naughty dog. Yeah. Uh, nearly 25% <laughs> of players have completed the story uh, per trophy data. Which just just for some context, because that might sound like, oh, only a quarter of people mm. who started the game have finished it. For context, like most games see like 10% completion mm-hmm. rate, maybe 15% completion rate, 25% completion rate for, for the main survey. Like a lot of people start games and don't finish them. Yeah. Which is not even an indication of the quality of the game, so right. much as it is an indication of people having lives and mm-hmm. games are long. Mm-hmm. So 25% story completion for a game of this size and and story completion, I I say, I think for most people is taking 20 to 25 hours, like kind of at minimum to get through the main story. That is, that's wild. That's a a huge statistic. And uh, yeah, great feat. I think it's a great indication of how well paced the game is and how much the narrative pulls you through it. Mm -hmm. Because God of War ain't easy either. No, no. I mean, yeah, Yes. Yeah. It's not like an entry level combat game. Like I was playing on Give Me Grace, the second easiest uh, <laughs> setting, and I still was getting my ass handed to me from time to time. Yeah, yeah. And there's certainly uh some some bosses and stuff that even on the on the easiest difficulty setting are are quite challenging. Yeah. Um I will say though the game has a boatload of accessibility options that can be turned on to mm-hmm. make the game more approachable and more accessible uh depending on your needs. So so that's great. And and the final news item that I want to highlight is that the game is officially the the most nominated game for the 2022 Game Awards. Woo-hoo! We just got the announcements for the the Game Awards nominees this year. And God of War Ragnarok comes it came in with ten nominations total, 
that's the highest. Uh, second place was a tie between Elden Ring and Horizon Forbidden West, which both got seven. So big year for Sony, but 10 nominations. That's It's been nominated in the categories of Best Narrative, Best Art Direction, Best Game Direction, Best Audio Design, mm. Best Narrative, Best Action Adventure, Best Score and Music, mm. Innovation in Accessibility, Mm. best performance and that's actually actually they got 11 nominations because for best performance both christopher judge and who plays kratos and sunny soljic who plays atreus have been nominated and Aww. of course the game was nominated for game of the year <sighs> so i might actually watch the game awards <laughs> this year <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that's what's going on with God of War Ragnarok. Again, if you've been crawling around on the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> Spencer, I've been talking too much. Oh Please tell me. High level. <sighs> what did you think of God of War Ragnarok? Okay, well, first, let me just, for the for those at home who are like, what the F are you guys talking about? Um, I will say, like, just as, a, as Jamie mentioned, this iteration of God of War, which started in 2018, is like a soft refresh reboot of the series as a whole um and it sees kratos um older um it sees him removed from his origins in greek mythology and brought into norse mythology where he now has a son um and in the first game it was really seeing the two of them learn how to how to work together and bond in the absence of kratos's wife Faye, who passed away before the beginning of that game um and in the process of trying to stay out of triggering Ragnarok and and being pulled into the fate of Norse mythology, um, it sees them sort of pissing off Odin um, and uh, killing Baldur, the son of Freya, who's Odin's ex-wife. Um, and so the second game sort of sees these two characters um, in Fimblewinter, which in Norse mythology is sort of the first stage of Ragnarok, the end of end times. Um, and it's triggered by the death of Baldur, which was was foretold in prophecy. Um, and so a lot of the tension of this game is um, doing what is necessary, not because it is written, uh, which is, I think, a direct quote from Kratos. Um, so really, this is a game about, again, on the focus on the relationships um, between Kratos, Atreus, and their allies. Um, but also defining for themselves um, who they want to be, the gods they want to be, um, and and being better and doing what's right, not what they're supposed to do necessarily. So what did I think of Ragnarok? Um, game of the year for me, for sure. I laughed, I cried. Um, I shook my fists at some of the... Uh, like, I, I just think... Um, the game is so grounded in its characters. Like, yes, this is an epic uh, action RPG. Um, there's lots of combat, lots of very satisfying combat. Um, but that's not why I'm playing it. Um, as I think uh, Jamie mentioned before, like the narrative just really pulls you along. Um, and I've been more invested in the outcomes of these characters than I think I've, I've ever been. And I think that says a lot for this character of Kratos, which like really polarizes a lot of people. Like I know people, myself included, who would not even touch God of War because they've heard that it's an incredibly ultra violent game where you hack and slash 
and you're this horrible guy who's angry and just kills things. Um, and the fact that it's really changed me into a Kratos stan and just like what they've done <laughs> with these characters and sort of the trajectory they've brought them on and that it's believable. Like none of it feels gimmicky or like they just retconned this character. Or, like, like none of that is true. They've, they've acknowledged his past. They've shown that he can change. And it's just like a beautiful lesson for all of us. I think um, even those of us who, who feel like we're beyond the point of redemption, like you can keep choosing who you want to be. And that's just such an important message. I'm going to start crying again. Um, <laughs> Did I answer your question? What were your, what were your first reactions? Yeah. Um, I think it's important to say, too, that this game picks up, uh, I think it's supposed to be pretty much two years after the events of the, the previous game. Yeah. And my, I, I love I love this game. Like, I think if we're just, if you were going to boil it down to one sentence, I love this game. This game is maybe in some ways the, uh, Avengers Endgame. If if God of War 2018 is Infinity War, if I can use an MCU reference, if God of War 2018 <laughs> is Infinity War, this is Endgame, mm. and that it is the culmination of everything that's come before. And maybe Ragnarok doesn't stand on its own in mm. the same way that God of War 2018 can, mm-hmm. but for all of the things, the ways that it is, it ex- it's expanding and deepening the characters the narrative the epic proportions of where the story goes uh i love it and it it is i mean yeah picking one over the other would be is challenging but i do think it surpasses 2018 in almost every way Uh while 2018 is a very strong game for a what is what although 2018 has epic moments it is ultimately a much more intimate experience um and smaller scale story Mm -hmm. that is really about a father and son taking this trip to scatter um the kratos's partner atreus's mother's ashes uh and learning how to be a father and son through Mm -hmm. that journey um this game is just, it's an epic. It is an epic in every way. And the drama, the character moments, all of that is so heightened, so incredibly heightened. Yeah. Um, you started talking about themes. Uh, so we can start there. You mentioned the do not be sorry, be better, which is Mm. an iconic line from 20 the 2018 game and in one of the very early scenes atreus and kratos are hunting deer um atreus or like kratos is having atreus hunt deer basically to show him what he's learned uh and to see if they are ready to go on this journey to scatter fey fey's ashes together mm-hmm. and kratos or atreus takes a shot and misses mm-hmm. and kratos gets very angry with him like more angry than the situation calls for <laughs> for sure because Again, classic this is early Kratos. classic Kratos. You know, <laughs> he's still trying to learn how to interact with his son. And um, Atreus says, I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry mm-hmm. I missed the shot. And Kratos says, do not be sorry. Be better. It was an iconic line from the first game that I think now having finished Ragnarok, that game is like, or that line 
is like the thesis statement <laughs> for these games together yeah. as a through line. Like if God of War 2018 is about is about Kratos learning not to be sorry, mm. and Ragnarok is about being better. Mm. And that's the int- like every nearly everything in this game ties back to that theme mm-hmm. of people who have done bad shit in their past or mistakes that have happened or things that have gone wrong or people that have been bad, like bad people figuring out how to move forward from that and being encouraged to be better, mm-hmm. to not get stuck in feelings of shame and guilt or letting themselves get, uh, bogged down in the idea that they have to continue being what they've always been, but instead making the conscious choice to be better while still recognizing the harm that's been caused. Like, I think if anything, like so much of this game is about ideas of forgiveness and reconciliation about building from the bad shit that's happened while acknowledging that that bad shit happened and holding on to, it's not about glossing over. It's like, not like, do not be sorry because fuck it who cares right it's like don't be sorry because getting stuck in that feeling of shame and feeling bad about it and feeling bad about who you are isn't going to change it doesn't change anything it doesn't make anything better like the harm happened all we can do is try to be better and not cause harm again Mm -hmm. and also simply saying sorry is not enough Mm -hmm. like an apology while might feel good for you to say doesn't actually do anything like you need to action speak louder than words and so much of this game is about understanding that you can't change the harm that you've caused but you can work very fucking hard to not repeat it and to make a situation better than you found it and to be Mm -hmm. a better person than you were the day before and i think that's an incredibly powerful message for any game to present especially the way it's reconciling with the idea of past harms and living like learning to live with that yeah learning to make amends with yeah. people uh I, I, yeah i don't know it's p- powerful stuff the themes in this game and, and the and the through line the way every side quest every character gets a moment that ties back to that core theme i was just i was really impressed with mm-hmm. really fucking impressed with i think it's brave to just because like outside of the um container of the game like People play God of War to kill things. People would play mm-hmm. God of War to to be the God of War, to just kill without cause. I'm just like throwing in, <laughs> in <laughs> quotes left and right. Just play the game. The writing is amazing. But, yeah. um, you know, like, I think for a lot of longtime fans of God of War, that was part of the enjoyment of the game, was just killing recklessly and feeding rage and being the embodiment of rage and not caring about the consequences or other people outside of yourself. Like it was all about this, this tale of vengeance. And I think it's, it's brave of the game to, to sort of posit like, and we can be more and we should want to be more. And this character is not that person anymore. Um, Like still a badass, still grumpy, (laughs) still grumpy old Kratos. So grumpy. But, like, there's a a tenderness there and or a, like, uh, this is such so cliche, but it's, like, um, not mistaking kindness for weakness, like, sort of um, embracing that it does take even more strength to be vulnerable, to be more than just your rage, more than just your your violence. Like, who are mm. you when that fire has burned out? Like, that takes even more strength to figure that out. And to, like, 
be someone that others can depend on rather than just continuing to think only about yourself. Like it really feels like 900 years later, Kratos is really growing up. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I just think that like seeing players respond to that, like seeing that this is the, this is setting a new f- franchise best in terms of sales and in terms of engagement. Like, I think some might say they took a really big risk in this huge pivot for this character, but like it really paid off. And I think reflects the the growth too of, of the people who play the game, like they're ready for more and, um and just not, not to like, not to, look down on people who play games just to hack and slash and have fun like that's totally valid too like i'm not trying to say like anything bad about people who would play god of war for that reason um i think i'm just amazed at at where they're able to take it and that it's still celebrated and it may be even more so um looked upon because i think so often you see um you know people in the gaming community sort of like looking down on feelings or saying that, oh, this is part of the woke agenda. Like now Kratos is wokeified or whatever. <laughs> like there's just so many, there's so many avenues where people can sort of take this kind of thing and, and shit on it. Um, and for the most part, I have not seen that happening. In fact, I've seen the opposite, just people like me, like us who are just so blown away um, and, and grateful and, um, excited by this and and cheering on this character and and that too is just really beautiful to see outside of the game like how it's affecting the players as well like it's just such an achievement um and i think to to build on what you're saying about the thesis of the game um another a quote i might throw in as a thesis statement is um it's the nature of a thing that matters not its form um Mm -hmm. i think you know Kratos uh, has repeatedly fought his form being a god. He does not want to be a god. He doesn't want to associate with gods. Um, It's not his nature to be a god, but it is his form. Um, So what's he going to do about it? What are we going to do with with the the cards we've been dealt? Um, How are we going to choose to be different and not just be what we're intended to be? Um, Like All of that uh, plays out really beautifully in this game. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so some points to points to hit on, right? Uh, before we get into spoilers, uh, yeah. let's talk a bit about gameplay and combat in particular being a huge part of the gameplay. But I say the you know the basic gameplay loop of this game has not changed dramatically from 2018. I think if you are coming into this game expecting it to be a completely different game. Um, why? It's a sequel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. That's my first question for you. But, <clears throat> you know, so th- the game basically puts you through a gameplay loop that is uh, explore the world a little bit with your companions, platform, mm-hmm. your companions are in dialogue. Oh, enemies are here. Fight some enemies. Uh, have a cutscene. Rinse and repeat. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's essentially you know, maybe you do a puzzle in there somewhere yeah. and, Some and find puzzles. a chest, yeah. find a chest, and you know, open a chest, do a puzzle. That's the basic loop of the game. I personally yeah. find that incredibly satisfying. I found mm-hmm. it satisfying in God of War twenty eighteen. I think it's just as good and better here because of some of the key updates that they made to combat in this game and to enemy variety. Mm -hmm. Uh, This was a huge complaint that we're like one of, I say huge, it was one of the only complaints leveled against 2018. 
was that there was a very strong lack of variety in the enemy types that you faced. Um, and in particular, the boss fights, mm. <laughs> you mostly just fought trolls as boss fights yeah. in that game. And people were rightly like, why am I fighting another troll? Yeah. Uh, I want to fight something different. And I think Ragnarok uh, very quickly and intentionally uh, overcomes that critique. Mm. Like they heard that feedback and this game is jam packed with different types of enemies, different types of bosses, different types of sub bosses. And they actually even make a joke about the handful of trolls that you do fight in the game, (laughs) which I really liked because the game is surprisingly really fucking funny. There's a lot of like moments of great humor in the game. Yes. Uh, but yeah, so so that gameplay loop I think is fantastic, and the combat I thought was excellent. I was initially a little disappointed in the when you first start the game, the first few hours. It seems like you've got basically the same skill tree mm-hmm. and the same weapons, and everything is pretty much going to be the same. And you're just kind of rebuying the same skills that you had in 2018. And at first, I was a little like, oh, I mean, it makes sense because. He's got the axe and he's got the blades of chaos and like these yeah. are the skills that come with those. But I think the way they evolve the combat throughout the game uh, and make some really interesting evolutions to it uh, ultimately made the combat. It, it kicked it up a notch mm-hmm. in 2018 for me. And and some of the key ways they do that. I, again, I don't want to get into spoilers, so just kind of high level. Um, they change change up your companion skill development and expand on the companion skill base, uh, you get the ability, this was my favorite thing, you get the ability to level up skills by using them, and you can apply special abilities to them. So, for example, uh, once you've fully leveled up a skill, you might be able to apply an effect to it where it does more damage, or it causes more elemental buildup on the enemy, or it causes more elemental buildup on the weapon, so that more enemies take more elemental damage, um, or it might be harder for enemies to interrupt the attack. So I really had a lot of fun leveling up skills and then applying effects that spoke to the way I personally used that skill. So if it was a charge skill that I would usually use when I was running in to try to hit an enemy with a really heavy attack, I would apply the, um, I think it was called like momentum or something like mm-hmm. that. But basically it made it so that it was harder for enemies to interrupt you doing that attack by hitting you. So mm-hmm. that if I did get a random swipe from an enemy while I'm rushing in, that's not going to stop me. The attack's still going to go off and I'm still going to do a lot of damage. I thought that was super fun. And then with the enemy variety, uh, not only is there more variety in the enemies that you're fighting, but I really felt like the game did a very good job of tying enemy types to areas that made sense for them to be in Mm. and explaining why they were there. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, as, as you're talking about, like, this game is trying to be so much more than just a hack and slash, and yet it does the combat really fucking well and understands that that's a key element of the game, right? So we're yeah. having this emotional journey with Kratos, and it's like, you know, porque no los dos. <laughs> why, can't, why can't we also, like, have a lot of fun killing a bunch of things? Yeah. But they give you good reasons for why you're killing those things, why those things are attacking you, and in most cases, these are they're either uh, beasts or monsters that are invade like there's a whole storyline where you're killing off something that's invasive to mm-hmm. an area mm-hmm. and getting to have these epic boss fights with something that has invaded that was brought here by the Aesir and now you're killing them off. Uh there's a really interesting storyline in one of the realms where the enemy type 
are, were actually created because the people were trying to fight back against Aesir oppression and ended up losing themselves in the process. Mm. I thought like all the story stuff you were digging out of that mm-hmm. and understanding why these enemies were here. And you're actually like mercy killing them because mm. they've lost themselves. I, all of that just really deepens the immersion in the world building and gives it, it counts towards those elements of the story that are saying like, Kratos is not just a monster who's just going around uh, blindly killing everything that he encounters. Like mm-hmm. there are reasons for these things to be here. There's reasons for them to be attacking him and there's reasons for him to fight back. Uh, do you have anything you want to add or uh, say about the combat uh, gameplay? Oh my gosh, I just so like just I'm just like <laughs> nodding as she's talking. Um, <laughs> I don't want your head to fall off. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I I totally agree with you. I, I felt like um, the mechanic of like you're used to building up XP and expending points to buy a skill. Like the way that um, a lot of the skills in this game were, I think they called it like labor labor built or something where it's like the more you use that yeah, move, labors. the more that it um levels itself up like i thought that was great because i definitely am someone who tends to favor certain moves or weapons and so getting payoff for like sticking with like my favorite moves was kind of cool and then being able to customize them um like as jamie was mentioning with the you can a, a, a skill will kind of highlight itself and say like, oh, you can you can pick which uh, direction you want this to go in if you want it to be extra elemental damage or extra strength or whatever. Um, like I felt like even though we both on the on a high level had the same skill tree, we we probably have very unique builds within that because of how we choose to play. Like that was a really cool feature. Um, I I guess with the combat, I, as you were talking, I was thinking about this interaction I had where a friend was watching me play, um, and this is someone who does not play God of War, uh, only hears about it through me gushing about it endlessly for weeks can't, at a time. Can't escape it. Can't escape it, yeah. <laughs> if they're in your general vicinity. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was funny because my, my partner was... He f- it was not my choice. He forced me to bring, <laughs> as I have my Poor PSV. Twisted your arm. Yeah, twisted my arm. Um, I usually keep my PS5 upstairs so I can play it um, without bothering other people. Um, mm-hmm. But he really wanted to watch. This is the power of God of War. He really wanted to watch <laughs> me play. So he was like, can you please bring your PlayStation downstairs and hook it up on the living room TV so I can watch you play? And I was like, sure. So I brought it down. <laughs> happily. Um, happily. Like, why you never ask? Um, this is a family event. Um, and, uh, so my friend was watching me play and was like, oh my God, like, you're just killing all these people. Like, it's so violent. As Kratos is ripping a drogger in half on the TV and a mid-battle cry. Um and it's true, like, I'm not someone who glorifies in violence. And, like, typically I'm someone who would avoid a game that has you grabbing a wolf monster and tearing its jaw <laughs> off and half skinning it down its chest <laughs> as a finishing move. Um, yeah, those wolvers really get the short end of the stick. <laughs> <laughs> that's something else. That's a lot. I don't need a breather after this. Um, that's one of the most brutal kills in so the game. Brutal. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, I don't know. I, I'm trying to find the words to explain, like, because you also 
it's also some of the most crunchy, like satisfying combat I've ever experienced. Like you just feel so powerful swinging those blades of chaos around or throwing your axe into somebody (laughs) and calling it back and having it hit your hand. And that way that they've got that haptic feedback in the, Mm. the, Dual Sense. I'm like, what's the name of the PlayStation Five <laughs> yeah, controller now? The Dual Sense. Yeah. Um, they really master the like. You feel the weight of the weapons as you're throwing mm-hmm. them around, and you feel the the weight of the axe as it returns to your hand. Um, it has this power where, like, kind of like Mjolnir with Thor, if he if Kratos throws his axe, he can recall it from anywhere to his hand, and all of that works together. Um, like the really when you get your combos down and your button mashing and you do these really cool moves, like I, I don't have the, maybe it's just fun. Maybe that's all it is. Maybe that's all it has to be, <laughs> but it, it brings something so exciting. Like I've never, I've never ever been in a battle fighting things and I'm just like cackling maniacally <laughs> or my mouth is hanging open in <laughs> awe and I'm just like smiling and I'm, I'm looking over at my partner like, are you fucking seeing this? Like, it's just so fun. And and I love that. And I, I guess it, it really feels like it brings, it's both pushing the envelope of what gaming can be in terms of narrative and um, just design and, and voice acting. It really elevates the art form. And it's embodying everything that makes video games just pure fun. Like, mm-hmm. like we're here to grow as people and we're also here to have a really good time. And I, I really feel like Ragnarok brings both. Um, so I guess that's what I have to say about combat. <laughs> <laughs> Here's my critique. Here's my critique. If I had to critique one thing about the game, <laughs> if you were to force me to pick one thing to complain about, I will say some of the menus um, related to combat and skilling up and sort of your armor and weapons. I did feel like from time to time I would get kind of lost in like there were lots of different things that you could customize in this game. There were the skills, there were the armor. There's the you can you can um what's it called? Customize the armor in this game like the appearance of the armor. There's these things called amulets, which I don't know if I fully understand still, where <laughs> you have all of like this this empty belt with like twelve amulet holes where the amulets can give you different they're like you know blessed amulets, and you put them into the holes and you can power up certain <laughs> Slots, things yeah, Slots, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh there were just a lot of different things going on in terms of constructing your build and i just felt like i was spending a lot of time navigating back and forth and accidentally opening a page i didn't want to or having to remind myself like wait a minute okay what skills does this apply to like are the amulets am i Mm. doing elemental damage like i don't know it just it was kind of a lot um I don't know if that resonates with you at all. No, it's it's very robust and I think the the menus are I don't know, it's like by the time I got to the end game, mm-hmm. I felt like I had a pretty good grasp on all of it, but it yeah. took a long time yeah. <laughs> to feel until that. the end game to yeah, <laughs> yeah, to really feel like I understood, oh, this is the direction I'm going with my build. Mm-hmm. This is how this interacts with this. This is what I should do here. This is what I should slot into this. This is how I should use my companion. But it is there's a lot. There's a lot. There's 
You have your own weapons. The weapons have abilities. The weapons have special attacks, mm-hmm. both a light and a heavy. Mm. You have a relic. You have the amulet belt. You have your companion. Your companion has different weapons. Your companion has different skill slots. Your pa- has a, has a skill tree. There, there's a lot, and it, it rolls it out in a way that should be not overwhelming, mm-hmm. but it, it still is. It's just a lot. I think in the end, like. We both have said now by the time you get to the end game, you feel like you have so many options to play with and what a fantastic toolkit and I can switch and slot and spit it. But building towards that point, yeah, there were moments where it was like, oh my God, there's another menu. I've got to figure out what I'm doing with this. And right. um, And I didn't even mention there's the shield and there's a shield attachment. And it's it's a lot. It's a lot. By the end, it feels great to have so much to work with. But as you're building that out, as you're getting introduced to it, as you're navigating the menus becoming more and more complex, it it can it's definitely a little overwhelming. And I think for if you are someone who wants to play a game like this on the easiest difficulty mm-hmm. and mainline the story, that stuff, I, you can probably ignore it a little easier mm-hmm. if that's how you're trying to play the game. But it still feels like, you know, I can imagine just opening up that menu and being like, Jesus what the fucking fuck? Christ, yeah. get <laughs> yeah. me out of here. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I would. There were definitely times where my audience became bored because I was spending fifteen minutes like going through my different armor and, yeah. and relics and shit, and being like, "Is this the best build, or am I missing out on some kind of like boon to my stats because I'm mm-hmm. just wearing the armor that I understand?" <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what did you think about things like, you know, the audio, the music, the sound design? Mm. I have definitely become a headphones gamer in the past mm. year. Like, I tell, I feel like I'm I'm always telling Jamie, like, I recommend playing this game with headphones because you really hear, like, everyone breathing and shit. And, like, um, we both actually were talking about in this game specifically, like, <sighs> there's so much amazing surround sound work being done. Even things like... If you're wearing headphones, you can tell which direction an enemy is coming from when they're mm-hmm. off screen because you can hear them on More than that, I found so I played this yeah. with the the Sony Pulse 3D headset, which is like the specific nice. headset that they released with the PS5. And uh Spencer, this is going to be one of those uh things that I recommend <laughs> that you get if you don't already have. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, talk, I talk you into buying a uh, <laughs> an add-on. Do you have the headphones yet? No, I just have these uh, like LG gamer headphones. But okay, well, the 3D audio yeah. that specifically comes with the Pulse ones mm-hmm. that that the PS5 is capable of, and that um, PS5 versions of games a lot of them use the 3D audio. Yeah, uh, it's really good. Mm. And yeah, you can tell which direction enemies are coming from. But more than that, like a lot of times, I could either tell if I was fighting a variety of enemies at the same time. I could usually tell which enemy. Wow. Was coming from off screen and sometimes even like what attack was coming my way. Wow. So that I could get out of its way. It like the audio design is really good. It's pretty uh, awesome. One of my favorite things in the game, actually, on the audio side is the sound that the weapons make. Mm-hmm. So the Blades of Chaos and the Leviathan Axe are both like hanging off of your back. Mm-hmm. And so there's distinct sounds that those weapons make as you pull them up as they like kind of scrape against each other and also the noise of like there's moments in the game where kratos will hang them up 
Yeah. Uh, or that, you know, the weapons will be put down and the sound and the weight that they yes. give them. It's so immersive. Mm. The, the way the audio is used to give things weight, like mm-hmm. Kratos feels heavy. Mm-hmm. Something we didn't mention in the gameplay, but I love how tanky he feels. He just feels like yes. a big, beefy guy when yeah. you're playing as him. And I know some people find that like don't like that that he moves a little bit slower but i just, he just feels powerful mm-hmm. and strong and heavy uh and you can feel that both through the dual sense controller and in the audio design and the way he moves through the world um and the music's fantastic i mean we mentioned uh bear mccreary i think earlier mm-hmm. uh really just great i mean this is mm-hmm. like epic uh you know orchestral score it really stirs <laughs> you it is definitely stirs you it really brings the emotion out i mean yeah, again, not to keep comparing to the MCU, but I do think that, mm. you know, I don't think every game should aspire to, like, I don't think being like film should be the right. end-all, be-all aspiration of every game. But for games that are going for that cinematic level yeah. of, that are trying to emulate that and trying to be cinematic in that way, like, Ragnarok has set a new bar Absolutely. for what for what that looks like. and And that's... That's on so many levels, audio and and music and score being just mm-hmm. just one of those. And you you are the one who I know I like very briefly just touched on this, but like to be specific, you are the one who pointed out like when you're wearing headphones, especially you can hear and feel Kratos breathing. Mm, yep, and it adds such a I, I can't I don't have words it. Oh, Kratos feels alive. Yes, I mean, if we're going to just yeah. transition a little bit and talk a bit too about some of the animation, like Kratos is and all the characters in the game, but him specifically is one of the most realistic portrayals. And it still has an art style. I mm-hmm. think that's really key. I mm-hmm. think sometimes games are just trying to be a realistic and yeah. they don't have an art style and it comes off really flat. Like, yeah. God of War still very much has an art style. Mm-hmm. It is still stylized. I'm not going to look at the screen and mistake Kratos for an actual human being on the screen. And so it avoids that uncanny valley yeah. thing. But the emotions, like the, his facial expressions, his emotions, the way he moves mm-hmm. and stands and breathes is the most r- realistic portrayal of a human being that I have seen that doesn't dip into that uncanny valley, that doesn't feel weird or off in some way. Like he is... Because he is a is a character who's constantly in motion. Like this is a thing I remember watching documentaries that goes all mm. the way back to Kratos's game design from like the very mm. first few games. Mm-hmm. He is a character who is moving things forward. It was something that was integral to how they set him up as a character. And so in the original games, you know, going back to two thousand five and stuff, his when he's standing, he always was he would breathe. His shoulders would go up and down. And he always was like leaning forward mm. a little bit because he's a forward driving character. He is not someone who hangs back. He's he's moving forward. He's always pressing forward on something. And so that was how they designed him from day one. And the way they've updated that design and brought it into modern times, the way he stands when he's not when you're not using him, when you're not engaging the sticks, he's slightly leaned forward. Mm-hmm. He's got his shoulders are a little hunched. Even if he doesn't have a weapon in his hand, he's kind of he's ready to go and he's breathing. He's bobbing up and down. He's looking around the way his eyes move and he blinks and the details of his beard. Mm -hmm. I I just replayed 2018 (laughs) like a, you know, a month before we played Ragnarok and playing 2018. I was like, how could they possibly improve on the graphics? (laughs) Like this game is like the pinnacle and they fucking did did the details in this guy's beard and his eyes. I was just consistently impressed by 
his face, yeah. just his face and the way he looks and feels like a real breathing character mm-hmm. as you're playing with him. Yeah. Ugh. And I, it's like they managed to, like, I'm afraid of Kratos. <laughs> a little bit, <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, there's a, I don't think this is a spoiler. I, there's a scene where, um, Atreus is sneaking around and as he's passing through a doorway, his father is coming through the other side and he crashes into Kratos' chest and kind of stumbles back a little bit. And I felt that that drop in my stomach <laughs> of like thinking you're sneaking home and your mom is like already awake and waiting in the chair and turns the light on. Like I felt the, the panic of like, Oh my fuck. Like, like Kratos is coming for me. Um, and I think, that, I think that speaks to like how deeply his character is designed and feels real because I've never really felt like it's a video game. Like I'm usually able to be like, oh, like this isn't real. I'm not in danger. Like this isn't a real person. Like, like I've never felt that kind of like, oh my fuck, Kratos is mad at me. <laughs> and that's bad. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, he's he's an intimidating dude for sh- for sure. And you know, I think it's like there's the animation aspect of this, right? Yeah. Which so many props to the animators, the people who are building the character models, the designers of all of that stuff, like so many props and also like these are the actors performances that Mm -hmm. we are seeing like santa monica uses mocap they work with these actors like we are seeing the actors come through into these performances which again i think goes back to what i was saying about this being the pinnacle of cinematic Mm. game design Mm -hmm. and cinematic games like that is christopher judge playing kratos Mm -hmm. And like honestly, for for my money, I think he absolutely deserves both that game award nomination and and probably the award. Yes. I mean, his performance in this game is ridiculous. It's unbelievable. You know, if this was a film, I would want to see him get an Oscar nomination. Yeah. Like that's that's the level that we're mm-hmm. we're talking about here that that he's at. Um, but but more than even hit, like every single character in this game is is just so well acted and performed, and it's not just voice acting; it's the facial uh adjustments that you know it's the emotions that people are actually playing it on their face you know people are getting to fully act and embody these characters and the way that carries through to the performances that we see in the game is just so fucking impressive yeah i I mean i could literally sit here and name almost every character in the game yeah when it comes to like saying like this performance blew me you know sunny as a sunny soldier as a trace blew me the fuck away Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm gonna forget all the actors' names. Uh, Danielle Basuti is Freya. Mm-hmm. Blows me, me away. away. <laughs> Robert Craighead is Brock. Amazing. Fuck comedic me. comedic oh, relief, but yes. so much more, so much more. Yeah. Adam John Harrington is Sindri. Oh. Get some great Stole fucking moments every in this game. scene he was in. Oh my you God. know, Alistair Duncan is Mimir. Like Mimir, we don't get to see the facial expressions as much because mm. he's he's a head hanging on Kratos' <laughs> belt. But like his voice acting and the way he carries so much of the story and it almost works as like a narrator for yeah. the player yeah. is is so helpful. Uh, Leia Hayes as Angerboda fucking mm. loved her mm-hmm. so goddamn good. Such a joyful personality. And Richard Schiff is Odin. Oh <laughs> Richard Schiff is Odin. Chills. Fucking inspired. Yeah. Fucking inspired casting choice and mm-hmm. performance. Mm-hmm. Just such an interesting way to present the Allfather, this ultimate, like, evil figure mm-hmm. being what feels like a very uh, unassuming, 
older man. Yeah. <laughs> like it was like what, like a New York accent? I just <laughs> <laughs> it, it was so great. And and I loved Ryan Hurst's Thor too. Yeah. Uh, such a different take on Thor from you know, obviously some of these characters we see in the MCU now. Mm-hmm. Um, so people have an idea of who Thor is in their head. They right. have an idea of who Odin is. And and I really thought, especially with those two characters, they did a great job of counter like creating something that was completely unique um that had a grounding in norse mythology yeah. for sure but was also like a very specific take on the character totally um yeah I, I yeah i could keep going almost almost every performance in this game like left my jaw on the floor yeah like, like watching cutscenes. i was actually like looking forward to cutscenes, which is not a typical way i game yeah. like typically i'm like oh, okay let's get through this and then i'd be like oh i can put my controller down and enjoy this cinematic experience like it <laughs> was something i would look forward to um and just chills like i would have literal i could feel the hair standing up in the back of my neck during the delivery of some lines and, and just again like there was no I, I think too with games that are this cinematic there's usually a bit of goofiness like oh like there's like that separation from reality of like i can tell that these are character models on you know wires and uh are, like i mean in the, in the in the game development sense like i know that these are 3d models moving within a space and i can sort of removed from the severity of a moment because there's a little bit about it that's just a little silly or unrealistic and i never felt that in this game like i was fully in it um i didn't want it to end i don't know it's just amazing <laughs> yeah yeah so fucking impressive um <clears throat> and then i think that the final thing that i want to make sure we touch yeah. on broadly is is the the writing and the the story overall mm-hmm. uh line by line writing dialogue character interactions so good mm-hmm. so good the character development in this game where characters go the the plot beats like the main story alone, like plot wise, you know, I, I have a quibble or two with it here mm-hmm. or there that I that we can get into when we're talking spoilers. But overall, like the plot of this game, where the game goes, where the story goes, I I was so on board with it was just so good. I, like I said before, the pacing was excellent and the way it's just constantly pulling you through the narrative. Yeah. But then all of the side quests that are in the game, all of the side content, I mean, arguably some of the best content in the yeah. game. Some of the best moments in the game happen through the side content. And this is not a game that is only delivering story moments and and powerful dialogue and pivotal dialogue within cutscenes. Like, cutscenes are one small portion of the game. Really, there is so much dialogue mm. and story that moves forward while you're moving through the world. Mm-hmm. And that's because you are always traveling with at least one, if not multiple companions mm-hmm. who are in conversation around you in conversation with your play, with the character you're playing. And some of those moments, like some of the funniest stuff that happens in the game happens in those, those dialogues that just happen as you're moving through the yeah. world. Some of the most poignant stuff that happens in the game happens in those moments. Mm-hmm. You know, I was brought to tears, whether it was like I was laughing or I was, yeah. I was, you know, getting emotional over like a really powerful narrative beat. Um, it, yeah. This- hey, you know, the writing's good when I'm like, <laughs> I know there's an enemy ahead. So I like slow down yeah. just so I can hear the end of this side <laughs> conversation that my <laughs> companions are having. I don't want to trigger combat too soon. I will like- say the game is mostly pretty good, though, about catching those conversations back up. If yeah. you, it, it's the design is very conscious of the fact that 
you want to hear the dialogue and it wants you to hear the dialogue. And so they'd make a lot of really smart game design decisions to try to prevent you getting uh, a conversation cut off and lost forever right. by entering combat. I won't say it never happens, but it's it's pretty rare. Most of the time, the game is set up to try to try to stop that from happening. Either the characters as you're entering combat will be like, let's pick this up in a minute. And then after combat's done, they'll be like, oh, what were you saying about X right. and, and bring yeah. it right back into <laughs> it? Um, or Or the game is just paced and timed properly so that you can't enter the next thing until the dialogue completes. Mm-hmm. Um, this game continues the thing that they did in 2018, which is there's it's it's seamless. There's no cuts. Right. Uh, so, yeah, you never get like a cut to black or a fade in the camera position changes. Like everything plays out. Like if, when you move from gameplay to cutscene, the camera actually moves from where it's positioned in the third person perspective behind the character. And then it just seamlessly moves away from them and now you're seeing the whole scene and that's the cutscene playing out um and so like there's no loading it's not like oh i'm going to a new area and now the game's gonna load even fast travel is done in a smart way where you never get a black screen Mm -hmm. uh you're still moving and progressing through the world but they time those loads they set things up so that you can't step into the next area until the conversation that you're having while the game loads is is complete yeah it's just really fucking smart yeah, super smooth, super seamless. Is there anything <sighs> else you want to be sure to highlight before we talk spoilers? Let's spoil everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, I mean, there are things I want to talk about, but I don't know if they're spoilers. So I feel like let's, okay. if there's anything you want to say. No, I mean, just that I love this game. I think yeah. if you have any interest in it, go play it. Um, burn this if, off go download it, <laughs> I, it even if it's of interest of you but you're not someone who plays games like this is one that's worth watching somebody play on a twitch stream or a youtube mm-hmm. series uh this is something like find a super cut of all the narrative beats like that i think this is a story worth worth watching it's if it's if it's of interest to, to you even if you're not you're intimidated by the game player or whatever it might be um, okay that's a great point because uh, when you said that, it reminded me. Um, so I don't know. I've probably mentioned this, but I got a new job this year. It's at PlayStation. Yay! It's Yay. super fun. But um, a bunch of my coworkers, like right coinciding with the release of um, God of War Ragnarok, um, PlayStation 5s became a little bit easier to get. And so a few of my coworkers have finally managed to... Like, I have coworkers who have been at PlayStation for... Some of them over a year, and they still don't have a PlayStation Five just because oh, the no. the um the what's it called supply chain issues affect affect everyone, and it's not like we get like special access to special PS Fives that that <laughs> end users can't receive because they're more important than us. Um, but so a few of them finally got their hands on on the consoles, um, and they downloaded God of War Ragnarok. And God of War Ragnarok is not just their first God of War game, but their first PlayStation Five game or their first console game, period, ever. Oh wow! And I'm like a little bit. I'm a little bit like, oh, this is gonna ruin other <laughs> games for you. Like if you think this is the standard um, of games, like this is like setting new standards in a lot of ways. Um, but it's incredible just to see people who have who've never played a next-gen console, never played God of War, coming into this game just 
completely floored at what games even could be and and just being able to sort of you know ask them like oh like how how are you doing with God of War are you still playing it and hearing them say things like just this is just what we're saying like this is incredible this is <laughs> i i never knew that this is what a game could be I, I never knew that it could feel this good to hold a controller and and play and i never knew that these characters were that these stories were being told in these games like it's almost kind of like for some people it's like this is why i work here like like it's <laughs> like wow like this is what this is why we're here and i don't know i just um opportunity to kind of witness a bunch of people playing these games for the first time has been really special too and i just think yeah if you've never played a god of war game before um this game does a really nice thing where on the main menu it gives it gives you the option to watch a recap of Mm -hmm. of, uh, the story so far and i think it's very welcoming to newcomers to the series um and especially if you're someone who typically abhors violence um i think this ragnarok is probably the most um understanding of that in terms of a god of war game like like understanding that violence isn't something that we're um like i think kratos at this point in his life kind of wants to avoid violence but he's thrust back into it based on the path that he walks and and i think um you know if you're someone who doesn't delight in in violence uh the game understands that too (laughs) Mm, mm mm-hmm mm-hmm that's a great way to wrap up our spoiler-free portion of the discussion. So we're going to transition now. Uh, this is your last warning. Oh Get out if you don't want to be spoiled on anything. Spencer, <laughs> what's the first thing you want to spoil? <laughs> okay. Where do you want to go? What do you want to talk about? All right. We were talking about Kratos a bit. So I think something I want to mention is... Um, I really felt like... In, I felt like maybe a weakness of the 2018 game was that it just sort of dropped Kratos into this new world. And unless you already knew a lot about the previous games, like it kind of was just sort of like a reset for the character. Like you knew, like you could kind of infer that he had some things in his past that he wasn't happy about and that he was ashamed of. But I think this game really showed you a lot more of who Kratos is as a person. I wrote down a few things, um, like one of those things being he was speaking a lot more about where he comes from and his own identity and origins. Um, He talks about being raised as a Spartan um, and he uh, talks about um, stories from his homeland. Um, He alludes to the fact that Spartans actually have a very rich culture and that's uh, Greek culture is something that in uh, among across the world um, it's lauded for. Um, and I think because too, a lot, a lot of times, a lot of characters in this Norse world would kind of make fun of, not make fun of him, but kind of look down on him, call him a meathead. All he thinks about is violence. He has no sense of um, refinement or he's empty headed. Um, and I think the character is a lot more forthcoming in his side dialogues and even in the cutscenes with like, no, he actually does come from a rich cultural heritage old norse is his second language um like people talk about um how kratos speaks um in laconic speech for lack of a better word um i looked it up and laconic speech um actually the 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 root word is related to laconia a region of greece 
where local Spartan rulers gave very short speeches, and it gave birth to this form of speaking that's basically defined by being very um, short and sort of one note, like giving yes or no answers, basically not mincing words. And I think um, a lot of the characters maybe perceive Kratos as being gruff or unfeeling or unemotional because he speaks in in very straightforward and curt language. Um, but I love the way that you can sort of trace this back, not just to his own cultural origin as a Spartan and that being sort of a normal way of speaking, but also because Old Norse is his second language and he just literally can't like say the types of things he might want to um, this game acknowledges that he's learning how to read runes. There are some adorable interactions between him and Atreus where um, there's in the world, one of the things you can discover is there's like these graffiti-esque runes on, in different areas. And in the first game, Kratos would be like, boy, what does it say? And in this game, he'll go up to it and he'll try to like sound it out. And Atreus will be like, yay, you got it. Yeah, that's, that's what it says. Um, and uh, so just little things like that, I think, really brought more depth to Kratos's character. I loved hearing him sort of tell like a lot of this, a lot of the character interactions are around storytelling, like Mimir recounting Norse legends. Um, and in this game, Kratos, too, will sort of talk about things that have happened in his past, tell the story of of Pandora's box or about how he, where he, how he became a God and, and the battles he had to fight and things that he was ashamed about. Um, there's an adorable scene where they talk about, um, you know, they're in Fimble winter. So it's been winter for three years and there's like nothing like growing in, in Midgard, the sort of like main land where most people live. And, um, they are asked talking about what foods they miss the most. And Kratos says olives. And Mimir's like, what the fuck is an olive? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'm like, of course, he's Greek. He misses olives. Yeah. Um, and there's even a scene where he teaches Atreus um, some Greek. Like they're um, in an environment that's um, really humid. And, and Kratos says, I forget what it is, but he says, he teaches Atreus the word for humid in Greek. Um, and there's just like things like that, that I, I just, I really loved, I really loved that. Um, and it, I think it also brought a lot of, um, what's the word? Like, I felt like I knew Kratos more, more than just his battle worthiness, more than just his strength. Um, I was really caring for him about as a person, which is like a lot considering everything he's done. I don't know. I'm just kind of going, but do you have no, any responses I, to that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I agree with all of that. And I think it, I think that vulnerability that we see and his willingness to share more, I, I think, you know, it's kind of a, uh, I don't think I think it's ever explicitly said in the game this this idea that this is more of like a fan developed idea that like oh part of the reason that he speaks so with so much brevity is because it's a second language for him and mm -hmm. you know in the in the first game and and this is more of a tradition of of Spartans to be like more direct which he always was very direct but in the earlier games like I mean, he would give speeches and you know yeah, he, would, right. he was more uh fully spoken than he is in 2018 where he yeah. is much more quiet gruff like keeps his sentences short and so this i this idea i really like it this kind of filling in of like oh well he's like this and and it seems to potentially be you know i don't know that santa monica's ever confirmed this or we have anything mm -hmm. that 
that says like, oh, that's definitely why. But it tracks, right? Especially with uh, him not understanding how to read the runes in mm-hmm. the previous game, and and now he can. Um, but I think it's also, you know, that that continued through line of what I was talking about with the themes, where 2018 is very much about him getting past being sorry. I mean, the the whole thing in 2018, like what uh, has colored his relationship, which so much with his son, is mm-hmm. this belief that he is a bad person that gods are bad Mm -hmm. and that therefore it's better for him to stay away from his son and for his son to never know uh, anything more about him, never understand that they're gods. And for like him, because that would corrupt him in some way. Yeah. He's stuck in that shame of believing Mm -hmm. that he is horrible, that being a God is horrible and, and morally wrong. And therefore all he can do is try to stay away from his son and hope his son gets by better without him. Yeah. And it's through that understanding of like, actually, no, I need to let all this go. I need to come clean and be vulnerable with my son in order for us to do better. Yeah. Uh, that that motivates them. And then, so in this game, it is him doing better and he is more vulnerable. Like the fact that we actually see growth in Kratos between 2018 and mm-hmm. Ragnarok is chef's kiss. I mean, that's perfect. Mm-hmm. You, you want your protagonist to grow as characters. That's good storytelling. That's also what makes a hero character. Yeah. Like heroes grow villains don't and for pretty much every other game (laughs) in the god of war pantheon like or god of war franchise all of those games all of those ones that came before the 2018 kratos did not grow or change Mm. like oh for the most part Mm -hmm. like he is uh overcome by a need for vengeance and the inability to accept the mistakes that he has made Mm. Through all of those games. Mm-hmm. And if and so if anything, like a, a, a reading, and I think what a lot of people felt like with him is like, oh, he's a very one note character. Like he is a uh-huh. villain. Like uh-huh. he murders the entire Greek pantheon because he's unable to process his own emotions about like what he did. He blames uh, Ares for his uh-huh. mistakes, but like he is the one that killed his family. He's the one that traded his his life for power. Yeah. From Ares in the first place. And so actually saying between 2018 and Ragnarok, we are going to see him grow and he is finally going to become the hero. Mm. I, it's it's powerful stuff. I, I think it's powerful even if these are the only two games you play. But for someone like me that grew up with this franchise, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's incredibly meaningful. Uh, <laughs> crying. That reminds me <laughs> of... Um... There's these dream sequences in this game where uh, as Kratos is sleeping, there are moments where he um, has dreams of previous interactions that he's had with Faye, his now deceased. Deborah Ann Wool! <laughs> Fucking Deborah Ann Wool. Uh, I was like, is that? <laughs> yes, it is. Yes. Um, she was as awesome. A, awesome reveal. Daredevil fan. Yeah. I was so excited to see Deborah Ann Wool. In, well, as in a diehard this. True Blood fan, I was also yeah, there you go. excited to see her. Um, it's like the meme of the two uh, the two biceps, <laughs> yeah, the two like, big arms clasping. Yeah. It's like Daredevil fans, uh, True, True Blood, Blood fans. fans. <laughs> Deborah oh Ann Wool and Gotta Wear Racket. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Um, yeah. But these moments, uh, I think, serve to one give a a face and an and and a character to this um you know female um 
protagonist, well, not really protagonist, yeah. but character who just was woefully absent. Well, from, yeah, they made her a character in this game, yeah, right? Yeah, made her a character in, in, in this game. In 2018, she's she's more of a prop. She's yes, a, you exactly. know, a, the dead wife. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Kind of a trope, really. Um, yeah. The dead mom. Um, yeah, they, they actually made her a character in this. Yeah, and, I, and, and showed, you know, sort of her influence on Kratos's ability to change and sort of undoing um, a lot of what he believed he needed to do to be a good father, to be a uh, a better god. Um, she just it shows some of like where the root of maybe this change came. And there's a line um, that she delivers where she's talking to Kratos, um, and soon before her death, and she says, um, "You know, I, I need you to open your heart to the world the way you've opened it to me, and mm. when you do that." you'll find every reason to keep living in it. Um, mm. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think, and well, that was and, a, but she follows that up with, um, cause, cause the, the, in the scene, they are preparing for her potential death. And mm-hmm. it was a little unclear to me if she knew. So we don't, we still don't know like why Faye died. It seems like it, it wasn't a battle or anything like, like that. I don't illness, believe. I it seems like illness. Yeah. And it seems like in the scene, it's unclear if they are preparing for a death that they haven't officially established is definitely coming or if she's doing it more as like, oh, we're just preparing. But she's a giant and giants have prophecy. They like can see. What's the word? They can see the future to some degree. They like have prophecies. They understand what's going to happen in Mm -hmm. the future. And so they're preparing for her eventual death, which at that point, I don't know if it's actually like Kratos knows she's going to die or if she knows she's going to die or how much. It's not clear. But she says to him this line of grief is the culmination of mm. love. To grieve deeply is to have loved fully. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, I just wanted to add that because <laughs> she says that right after the yeah. other bit that you're highlighting about like, oh, it's part of that. She's like, you need to you know, open your heart to the world. Like, it's okay to feel these emotions. It's mm-hmm. okay to be sad. Like, that is what it means to be human. Like, that is the culmination of love is to, to feel these things. Especially because throughout the first game and sort of leading up to this point, Kratos has drilled into Atreus, close your heart, close Mm, your heart, mm -hmm. close your heart to their suffering, close your heart to, you know, to do what you have to do to kill, to, to protect the ones you love. You need to close your heart. And, um, upon reliving that memory, there's this huge moment where not only does he come to Atreus and say, like, I was wrong, open your heart to the suffering of others. Like, like, this you are you are more than me and your mother could ever be like it's her wish it's mine too for you to be who you are be open to the world because that's your strength um that happened and in addition i think something we talked about privately but not yet on the podcast was how throughout this um game uh there's this prophecy that that Atreus and Kratos find at the end of the 2018 game where it shows um, Kratos dead, dying in Atreus's arms. And so they're mm-hmm. sort of they're sort of journeying towards Ragnarok knowing that likely Kratos is going to die. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of when you're alone with Kratos and sort of embodying him, you really feel like that might be something that he wants. Like he feels mm-hmm. that he deserves to die on some He's level. He's coming to terms with it. And I think, you know, even informed by that, that dream that you're talking about with Faye, where they're preparing for her, her demise. Um, 
I don't know. I just got the feeling that like he was ready to let go, that he wanted to move on with her. And, and right before he lays down and goes to sleep and has that dream. So this is like the scene that we're talking about is right near the end of the game. It's like, you're right on the cusp of starting Ragnarok Mm -hmm. and they give you this kind of a small moment of, of breathing space before it happens. And, uh, that the beautiful moment where, you know, they come to the camp where the army is getting set up Mm -hmm. for Ragnarok and Freya, who, Again, like we're just we're just talking now about spoilers. Like I'm, we're assuming you've played the game. Freya forgives you. You guys are pals now to some extent. <laughs> Freya points out, like, okay, Atreus, like, here's a tent for you. Kratos, there's a tent for you. Mm-hmm. And it, and Atreus is like, oh, oh, a tent, a tent for me. And she's like, yeah, you know, you're a you're a warrior now. Yeah. Like you should have your own tent. So they go to separate tents. But then after they lay down, Atreus comes in and gets into Kratos's tent, saying that he's having trouble sleeping. And Kratos starts to tell him the story of of a man who worked very very hard and had this huge all this labor to do mm-hmm. and um eventually called for death to come mm-hmm. and then atreus falls asleep and kratos had promised that he wouldn't finish the story if atreus fell asleep mm-hmm. that he would finish it the next day and it really feels like in that moment what that story is building to is is a story about someone learning when to let go yep. and like move on to the next plane and it was so sad because like yeah we're coming into this we're going into ragnarok thinking like despite all of their efforts to avoid prophecy throughout the game, like it just seems like every step they take to try to avoid it keeps them on the path of prophecy. And we're Mm -hmm. like, fuck, he's, he's going to die. He's going to die. And yeah. So that moment too, it's just like, okay, yeah, they're just teeing us up. Like he's ready. He's ready to go. And then spoilers, you find out, you know, after Kratos survives Ragnarok, after everything comes to an end and he finishes the story, it's actually a story about, a man who learns that he wants to live and that he has something to live for. And I think, okay, you read my mind just completely, yes. <laughs> and I feel like when he he goes to sleep accepting that he wants, that he's ready for death, he wants to accept mm. death, and in some ways he's inviting it. He has that dream, he remembers what Faye told him. And I think yeah. the next morning he wakes up and he changes. I don't. I don't think the story he finishes was the story he started. I think when, oh, you when think Atreus so? asks him, "Hey, what about the end to that story?" I think he changes the ending because changes he wakes story. up wanting to live, and yeah. he tells, and it ends with him saying, "The man, when death finally came, the man asked if he could share the load and if death mm. would help help him bear the weight instead of taking him." And I think, I don't know. I I I read that as yeah. him having new resolve and accepting leadership, accepting um, that he can be different. Yeah. Well, that's why the, um, you know, at the, the very end when they find the full prophecy that, that Faye had. Did. So, <laughs> so, so yeah, what you eventually learn is that what, and I think it's important to you in, at the end of 2018, it is only Kratos who sees the prophecy on the wall that shows him dying. Atreus actually discovers that in this game uh, by going to Ironwood and meeting Angerboda, which another thing that, you know, how much we're not even going to have time to talk about all the things that are awesome about this game, but getting to play as Atreus. So fucking cool. So cool. Uh, Getting to turn into a wolf. And so fucking cool. (laughs) And a bear. I loved it so much. Um, but yeah, so that's when Atreus sees the prophet, the prophecy that's known to them anyway, because mm-hmm. Angerboda has, I believe, if I'm understanding correctly, uh, copied it basically yeah. from the wall. But what they don't understand at that time is that Faye had destroyed a whole portion of it to try and hide it from Kratos and Atreus because she didn't want them to be bound by the prophecy or feel bound by the prophecy. 
So what they don't understand is they're not seeing the full prophecy when they see that scene of what appears to be Atreus holding Kratos. Mm-hmm. Um, when they actually do find the full prophecy because Faye had preserved it in her own... What are those What are those things called? The, the shrines? The cabinets. Shrines. Yeah. yeah, they have these shrines that they can open up um, where the giants would put their specific prophecies, like each shrine was dedicated to a specific giant. And, and when they open Faye's, um, which Anger Boda shows them, finally at the very end of the game after Ragnarok has passed and you see the full prophecy, it shows that Kratos actually goes on to become a revered leader and God in what Midgard, assumedly, Mm -hmm. but it shows him being revered and loved by the people. Yeah. It says people bringing him (laughs) offerings and and praying to him. And, (laughs) and, and that moment that he has, which is the, the one moment where he finally, I was just glad that they finally let him cry. There's so many yes. moments in this game where he almost comes to tears mm-hmm. and then doesn't. I'm like, just fucking let him cry. Like, yeah. this is such a thing with like toxic masculinity of mm-hmm. like not letting strong male figures cry. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Kratos needs to fucking cry in this game. And they did finally let him cry. I feel like they should have let him cry more and much <laughs> sooner. Like he should have just been bawling through this entire game. But okay, I will take it. I certainly was bawling through the entire yeah. game. Every time Kratos didn't cry, I cried for yeah, him. Same. So, but he finally he has this private moment. There's no one standing there with him. Mm-hmm. He's kind of like hidden behind the shrine, and he puts his hand on the on the shrine, and he he breaks down. And Mimir asks him, he's like, you know, what do you see, brother? Because mm-hmm. Mimir's hanging off of his belt, can't see that Kratos is is crying. And Kratos just says, and Christopher Judge delivers this so perfectly, but he just says, a path. <laughs> and it's it's like, yeah. it's the path that he didn't know existed yes! for him. It's the future that he didn't think he had. And uh, that was, that was, <sighs> was powerful beautiful. shit. It's beautiful. Beautiful shit. I don't even want to talk about it anymore after that. <laughs> like, you don't want to talk about anything else anymore? Or you don't want to talk about that? I just feel like that was just the culmination of so much. And mm-hmm. just seeing him cry, seeing him be loved, seeing him confirmation. I think he's afraid that he doesn't have the capacity to change because he's been this way for almost a thousand years mm-hmm. at this point. Um, and Odin, I think, really got to him. There's a scene where Odin is like, you know, do you even know what it's like to be a god? Do you know what it is to be loved, to be worshipped? Like, are you even capable of receiving or feeling that kind of love? Like, no, mm-hmm. you're a monster. Um, yeah. And I think he really, he like, Odin saying that to him was not something that he didn't already know or feel about himself. And so to have that as like one final gift from Faye and, or, or just proof that like his hard work being the father that Atreus deserved is like leading him somewhere different. I don't know. I just, it was so beautiful. Yeah. It's interesting that painting on the back where it showed Kratos, um, like being revered and stuff for some reason i interpreted that as um like it was a new painting like there was old stuff underneath of it and it was newer paint showing kratos being revered and i thought that it was uh, it was a sign that they had changed their fate from the original prophecy which was kratos dying and now they're because of the choices they made um it's different like anger boda had a new painting uh, maybe I'm off base on that, but either way, it doesn't really matter. But <laughs> no, I mean, like, yeah, I would, I wouldn't say I'm a hundred percent confident that this is the way it's intended to be interpreted. But we don't know Anger Boda specifically to have prophetic 
uh, powers. That was her uh, mom, I believe, oh, that did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and or her grandmother had the her grandmother was the one who was giving the prophecies, and her and her mm-hmm. mom were specifically part of like painting them and documenting the prophecies that Groa had. Um, so I I was definitely under the impression that Faye had destroyed the prophecy on the walls of Jotunheim mm-hmm. um, because she didn't want... I, I'm still a little confused then about why... I think, you know... Why Faye? Why, like, mm-hmm. I, I'm a little confused about like why exactly Faye did the things that she did. Uh, why hide from Atreus that he's a giant? Mm-hmm. Um, that she was a giant? Why hide that from Kratos mm-hmm. even? And then reveal that as part of her her plans for her death like what was why not just tell them before she died that seems odd unless she just couldn't she couldn't reconcile i still have a lot of questions about like Mm. what Faye's relationship with her own past was and and why she hid so much of that from from kratos and then why uh why hide it and then intentionally reveal it when you die like by asking them to bring this to the highest peak in all the realms knowing they're going to go to Jotunheim, that they're going to learn that you were a giant, that that Atreus is a giant, that his giant name is Loki. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least Loki in the prophecies, right? Like, why why reveal all of that if you were hiding it before you died? You knew you were going to die. So, yeah, I just, I just don't quite understand her thinking there. And then she destroyed the prophecy, so she wanted to send them to Jotunheim. I thought initially because she wanted them to see that, but then we kind of learned in this game, like, no, she didn't want them to see the prophecy. She didn't want them to feel tied to that. Um, so, uh, yeah. I guess I thought I interpreted it as she knew this shit was going to happen. She maybe to some extent knew when and where she would meet Kratos. And so, like, because of, of everything being prophesized. Um, and so I assume that she didn't tell Kratos and Atreus that stuff because she was hoping to do as much as possible to prevent them from falling into prophecy. So she thought, like, just telling Kratos she was mortal and living a mortal life, maybe she could ha- she could help them avoid that fate. And I thought that she sent them to Jotunheim to the highest peak, assuming that they wouldn't find the prophecies, just because that was her wish to dot to be have her ashes spread in her homeland. Mm-hmm. But maybe thinking that Kratos and Atreus would remain ignorant to the fact that that was like her origin, or, or that they had that prophecy. Um, and so she thought she was protecting them by leaving them in the dark and that the journey of spreading her ashes would be more about helping them bond rather than mm. achieving their, their destiny. But then yeah. all that shit happened anyway. And at the end they found the shrine and it all kind of came full circle. But I, at first I thought <laughs> early in the game that Faye was like kind of evil, like that she knew this stuff would happen yeah. and sought out Kratos to use him just like everybody else in his life for his power well, I think um, Kratos is worrying about that too. Yeah, I think they, the game yeah. very intentionally puts you in the space of feeling like, oh, maybe I didn't know this person that I love so deeply, you know, yeah. and, and she hid all these things for me. And the game kind of talks about that a little bit or like tries to say that, like, you know, everybody has a past and, and what they choose to share. And there's because there's multiple relationships in the game that play out this way. I mean, for one thing, almost every character in the game, like we said before, has has something that they've done that they are carrying regret for. Right. Um, but I mean, even think the parallel to, you know, the quest we do in the crater, um, which is an area in Vanaheim where we learn more about Faye's past and specifically a past fight that she had with Thor. 
uh, is very similar to the quest line that we do about Seagrin's past. Seagrin being the previous queen of the Valkyries. Mm-hmm. Um, and her, her, you know, Mimir and her were in a romantic relationship a long time ago. And they're learning about this horrible past that she had where she ended up like killing her own family due to some like really complicated drama. Very Kratos-esque, if you Very ask Kratos-esque, me. Very Kratos-esque, right? Like, <laughs> and, and Mimir is learning all of that yeah. about her and she had never told him any of that. And so I feel like those two kind of mm. side quests play out in parallel to each other where it's Kratos is going through this thing of like, why did Faye never tell me anything about this? And similarly, when you're going through the Seagrin stuff, Namir is having that same reaction of like, why didn't she feel like she could tell me? And I think both stories kind of end with this idea that like, you know, people have aspects of themselves that they hide from even the people they care about the most because they want the people that they love to see them a certain way. Yeah. Um, and yeah. that that's, that's a, a thing that happens regularly, yeah. whether it's right or wrong. I don't think the game really condemns it or says it's the right way to be. It just acknowledges that that's a very real thing that happens in human relationships. Like when we care about someone a lot, we want them to perceive us as the best version of ourselves. And that might mean hiding uh, aspects of ourselves that don't line up with the way we want them to see us. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. I, I feel like <laughs> we could, <laughs> we could talk about this, uh, probably all day. Yeah. Um, definitely longer than this, but unfortunately we are like just legitimately out of time for recording <laughs> today. So, and, and we've already got a nice like hour and a half of content. I'm yeah, here, yeah. I think, so I think we're going to have to go ahead and wrap this up, but I, I will not be surprised at all if our December Patreon is more mm-hmm. got a more Ragnarok conversation and, and specifically diving more into spoilers because just like, I mean, I don't know, you, you and I have only talked to, uh, not even too much, like maybe an hour or so off off mic about God of War Ragnarok. And I just, I, there's so much more. <laughs> just today. We talked, we <laughs> talked about it for an hour before recording just today. And then I also <laughs> saw Jamie last weekend and we spent like three hours talking about it. So. <laughs> yeah it's uh such a good fucking game and there's just so many so many small uh and big moments yeah. to to pull out and highlight and and elevate and, and talk about and uh, yeah there's just so much we didn't even talk about here you know we barely touched on playing as atreus uh thor being <laughs> yeah. an alcoholic brock dying uh, uh so much so, so much. much such a good game so yeah uh you know look forward to that if you really want more of this i think yeah. you're probably going to get it in the december patreon episode Hell yeah uh but time is up for today's session of pixel therapy and we thank you for tuning in and hope that listening to our thoughts and feelings gave you some thoughts and feelings of your own if you want more pixel therapy you can come check us out at patreon.com slash pixel therapy pod where you can snag that monthly bonus episode for just two dollars a month plus opportunities to get involved with the community and influence the show directly. If you're not up for contributing monetarily, but you enjoyed this episode, you can show your support for free by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts and following us on Twitter and Instagram at Pixel Therapy Pod. That stuff is just as important, and we appreciate it just as much. Remember that Pixel Therapy is a happy member of the But Why Though Podcast Network, so you can support us by supporting them and heading over to ButWhyThoughPodcast.com. That's though with a T-H-O. Take a peek at the inclusive geek community they're building around pop culture news, reviews, and kick-ass podcasts like yours truly. And you can keep up with all of this stuff and more by visiting our website at pixeltherapypod.com. Finally, since we like to put our money and our energy where our mouth is, we end every episode with a recommended side quest. This month, I'm excited to talk to you all about Trans Santa. 
Right now, young trans people, particularly black and brown trans youth, are under attack across the country or in the U.S. <laughs> and around the world. The COVID-19 pandemic has exacerbated unsafe conditions for trans youth who are homeless, in foster care, in detention, and in abusive or otherwise unsafe housing situations. Trans Santa wants to show trans young people that they are loved, supported, and have a family of people around the world who care about them and want them to succeed. Anyone can be a Santa, even you, that's right. So visit transsanta.com, and that's T-R-A-N-S-A-N-T-A, to learn more, um, sign up to be a gift giver, lend words of much-needed words of support to trans youth, um, and learn more about this really awesome initiative. That's transsanta.com. Yeah, really, really important. Thank you for that side quest, Spencer. That is our show for today. So go forth, run a story mission, level up some stats, and don't forget to hug an NPC every now and then. We'll be back soon with some more Pixel, Pixel Therapy. Therapy. Bye-bye. <laughs>